Hello, this is Yoga Chai and a Dog, your podcast hosted by Deepak and Urchna. Hear them discuss various topics related to yoga, health and wellness. So, on to your host now. Welcome once again to your favorite podcast, which is Yoga Chai and a Dog. This is your host Deepak. I'm Archana here. And we have got a surprise for you. We keep on throwing surprises, don't we? But we love that, right? Okay. So when you think of yoga, what's the first thing that of a yoga person? What's the first thing that comes to your mind? You know, a person meditating, doing yoga practice and everything. But there's more to that person other than yoga. What do you say, Archana? Yeah, we are trying to bring the human side of a yogi. So yogi is just not the person who meditate and who doesn't have challenges. They are always peaceful. They are calm. So as a yogi, I know it's uh, somehow it's true, but it's it's not that whole story. So we are bringing the story, their family life, how they cope with the things and how yoga in a way helps them to move forward in their daily life. Wow. That's very well put. And our first guest is Mimi Kuodimer. She is a yoga teacher, a practitioner. She is the author of two books. Uh, she has got two DVDs under the belt. But probably you always you always knew Mimi as a yoga person. You never knew the journey that she has taken. And Mimi very readily agreed to talk to us. And without further ado, here is Mimi for you. Yay! Hello. It's really nice to be on the show with you. Thank you for inviting me. How are you doing today? Today, I'm, I'm good, thank you. I am very good. Yeah. Great. So, Mimi, as you heard from my introduction, well, Archana knows you, so she has an unfair advantage over me. Yeah. <laughs> so, let's kind of level the field. Tell me, who is Mimi? Oh, who is Mimi? Gosh, do any of us ever know who we are? Are we changing <laughs> every moment? <laughs> this concept of self. Who? What is the self? <laughs> um, but Mimi, Mimi is actually a nickname. Mm-hmm. And in in uh, in Mandarin Chinese, which is the the language my parents spoke and that yeah. I spoke as my my mother tongue until I was old enough to start school. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mimi means kitty cat. Oh, wow. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> and I was born in 1972 and born in the year of the rat. My, my mother and father, though, they thought best to keep the cats away by tricking them into thinking I'm a cat rather than a rat. So I won't be in yes. danger of being chased by a cat. <laughs> <laughs> that is really interesting. That's very beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, you were born in, uh, in China? No, I was born in upstate New York. My parents oh, were born. My, my, both of my parents were born in China. Okay. And they they came to the United States as students and mm-hmm. in the 1950s, and uh, they raised their family, myself and my three brothers, in, in the United States. So I was born in New York. I grew up in, in Tucson, Arizona, and then um, from there went off to California and then to Beijing. Right. Uh, to Beijing, what for? Well, uh, so the first few trips I took were with my family. I was quite young. I was um, eight years old, 1981. 
But when I finished college, I'd already been to China a number of times for travel, for study, for uh, internships. And I finished uh, university, didn't really have a plan except for a job offer that I had in Beijing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, and that job was with uh, CNN, Cable News Network. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I told you before. <laughs> yes, yeah. I was actually dying to bring that in somehow. Archana told me that you were a photographer for CNN. Well, I was not a photographer for CNN. I was a very lowly bureau assistant. <laughs> <laughs> However, a title bureau assistant pretty much, yeah. much means as it, it suggests to most people. Back then in 1994, There were only mm -hmm. six people, people in the bureau. Now there are hundreds. Um, yeah. But then my, my job really was to step in where needed as a, uh, a assistant producer, as a translator, as going out to find stories, to support the other um, journalists. Um, so, you know, there was a lot there that um, was involving reporting. Wow. That must have been a wonderful experience. And and Mimi, uh, you know, I know I would ask a different question here that you you have a very versatile, uh, I have learned so much from you and I know you you bring the Chinese tradition, old tradition of the energy system, Qigong and all in your yoga practice. And all. How come you got interested in yoga because, you know, you're, uh, you, you started... <laughs> Uh, in journalism or whatever, but, you know, how come you got interested in yoga? So I was always interested in movement. I was uh, actually born with a very weak immune system and health generally, and I also had pigeon-toed feet, so my, my feet were, were turned in when I was a kid. And my mother decided that when I was old enough to try and, and – um, do some exercise that I should go to ballet school to try to turn my toes out. So <laughs> I'd always done some movement. I, I started in ballet and then I went into other types of dance. And so movement was part of kind of what I really loved in um, expression and art. But it was my mother again, who had a book from the 1970s that was a photocopied version. She gave me of a woman in a leotard or un unitard doing yoga And she gave this book to me when I was living in Beijing, working as a, uh, at that time I was working as a photographer. I'd left CNN and started working at Reuters as a, a photojournalist. But, ah, that was Reuters. Yeah, but it, 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 had, it had repercussions on my health, I should just say. It, it was a tough job. Um, back then they didn't have very good camera backpacks. They, I, I carried everything on one shoulder. I... Um, was out looking for photos on the streets. Often it was very cold. Um, and I got very sick. Uh, I was also, as many people back then in the, um, in the, in the 90s, um, it was an exciting time in Beijing, but I was spending a lot of time with artists and musicians and actors and playwrights and going out drinking too much, smoking too much. That didn't contribute to my health either. <laughs> <laughs> so I I got very sick to the point where I had I really had to stop photography I felt and my mother gave me this book and mothers know don't they they just know yeah, yeah they, they do, do. Yeah, do. <laughs> <laughs> and, 
And um, I started doing the practices from this book. And they were just simple, virasana, lifting the arms, turning the palms away you know, towards the sky, uh, ustrasana, camel, um, bhadakanasana. They were very, very basic. But I had realized I neglected my body for so many years working in journalism, you know, kind of living that more uh, underbelly life. <laughs> and, um, and I... Yeah, when I started doing the, the the postures, something just started shifting in me. And I didn't realize it then, but I think it started putting a lot into perspective and it, it started giving my, my health back. And it, it helped me get my health and perspective back enough to make the decision that I had to leave China at that point and, and go back. Originally, my plan was to go back to California and apply to graduate school. Mm-hmm. Um, but... Fate had a different plan. I did move back to California. I didn't go to graduate school at that time. Um, I did start work in publishing in San Francisco that took me to New York. It's a very stressful job. My roommate in New York found a flyer for a yoga center offering a beginner's course, and we did it together. And I fell in love with the movement again. You know, and And that kind of helped me shift enough again to kind of start getting my health back. I decided to leave that job. <laughs> Um, and go back to California, go back to China. Um, and, and the yoga kind of started sustaining me in a way that I didn't realize I'd needed. Um, and I kind of dipped in and out of it until the year 2000. And again, I'd been working in China as a photographer, been doing some yoga, but on my own because there were no real classes there. And then I I took a job back in California where my best friend lives and she was living in, in Venice, California in Los Angeles. And she took me to her, um, her teacher who had just come back from six months in India and he had live musicians with him in the class. And I just had a really bad breakup and starting those movements with music. It was a crowded room. It was at yoga works, famous yoga studio in Santa Monica and it, I started crying so hard somewhere in 10 minutes into to practice, but I, I kept going. And then at the end in Shavasana, just tears started pouring out of my eyes again. And I was, I, I, I recognized something deep had happened and I kind of come back into myself through the practice in a way that I had been neglecting. Um, and then I was there really regularly after that. <laughs> And maybe as a as a teacher, because I I know you, uh, I have done some classes with you, and you know courses. I find you very compassionate and very kind. You know, somehow I know because you follow Buddhism and you have got something which which really makes me uh, as a, as a student. I always felt that uh, you know you belong there, and but at the same time, I felt uh, you are very precise and very good in what you do. You know, you are really organized your stuff like you know uh, as a teacher so do you think that uh, working in CN, uh, you know CNBC writer and you know as a those thing has also come in a way handy to you with the with with your own practice your experience in the life I think our life is inevitably an accumulation of everything that we do and who we are in the present moment is never separate from who we've been Um, so, you know, I see some of the things that I 
uh, explored and pursued in journalism immediately relevant to the way that I practice, I teach, I share, I explore my yoga, my qigong, my meditation. Um, one of the things I think is compassion. You know, when I worked as a reporter, if you're going to do a story and, and there's something very important about really connecting to and caring for and, and making a, a relation, establishing a, a relationship with people um, to, yeah. to tell their story. And especially as a photographer, I can often sense their anxiety around a big camera that makes them a little anxious or um, maybe even suspicious in China. They're very suspicious of, of journalism in general. Uh, and so it was really about creating a connection with the person and letting them trust me, but also seeing the best in them and really wanting to convey uh, you know, something about their story that others might find interesting as well and, and respect them. Um, so I feel that that aspect really did move into the way that I, I still live. Um, you know, and also my, my, interest in, in telling stories has also informed the way that I teach. I, I like that narrative component. Um, and, you know, I, I like that in writing as well, but, you know, the, the organizational uh, aspect of actually creating a narrative is, is um, you know, a discipline, I suppose. Yeah. That putting your thoughts together, you know, aligning your thoughts in order to build up mm. that story. Mm. And That's really, it, very important. Yeah. And to try to tell it simply and to yeah. yet at the same time convey something important yes. and significant and insightful and that, that speaks to the human condition. Right. And that's exactly. why people read a story that they, they can relate, yeah. relate to it in some way. And I think the same is true when we teach, you know, to make the, the, the technique even or the approach or the principles or um, you know, the, the arc of a class, like how is it actually relatable to the person's life? You know, what? Yeah. And there's one question which I'm dying to ask and I can't hold it any longer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, as a photographer, I need to ask, uh, do you still fo do photography? Not professionally so much. I, I uh -huh. still work. Um, I still do one client professionally and I'm very honored. Oh, wow. And, and that's because it's my main yoga teacher, Donna Farhi. So I am her unofficial photographer. Official, oh, wow. Official, unofficial <laughs> photographer. I mean, whenever she's come to London and she's needed some new photos, uh, she yeah. and I do an exchange. Um, and I've, I, I photographed recently, I think last year, and she uses those photos regularly in all of her kind of social media or she even takes uh, photos when you know when a course is over she takes a photo and it's amazing you know everyone is yes. into some different pose i told you that and the picture comes so beautiful yeah. i uh, i've seen some of the yeah, pictures yeah. you know from the, uh, the photographer fact, always the photographer i can't get it out of my system <laughs> Yeah. I'm a amateur photographer myself, oh. so that's why I'm, I'm quite interested. So, in fact, you know, when I went to your website and, and I said, oh, gallery, I clicked on the gallery, but all I saw was your photo. I said, oh, I would have expected her for, you know, your photography to be there. But now I'm going to go to Donna's, uh, you know, website and look at your photography. <laughs> uh, yeah, there's a little bit on there. I, Yeah, I, I sort of made the choice to to take that primarily off my site and 
Yeah. Um, I just didn't have the energy to sort of sustain both when I moved to London. I know that itself is quite a lot. Okay, where <laughs> uh, where does Aaron come into this story? Oh, <laughs> I'm dying to hear that. <laughs> we, met, we met in Beijing, and we met through the combination of photography and yoga. He's he's a more active photographer than I am still, but we met because a friend who knew both of us wanted to do a show of both of our work. And he told me about Aaron, he showed me his website, and then he did the same with Aaron. He told me, he told Aaron about myself and Mrs. Mimi, her website, you should check it out. But he never introduced us. And Uh um, and later, though, Aaron... Apparently, yeah, so he called my phone number thinking, oh, this is the number for our yoga studio, Yoga Yard. And I spoke to him. I was like, oh, this is a nice sounding person. And he asked about classes. And it happened that, that I was covering for my friend Robin, who was away, and I was teaching for her. And he came to that class. So I didn't know it was Aaron. And he came with another friend of mine. And afterwards, they, uh, she said, you know, Mimi, this is Aaron. And Aaron is also a photographer. It's like, oh, that's interesting. And he, uh, I said, oh, what kind of work do you do? And he started saying this, that, and the other. And he says, and you're Mimi Duke's friend, right? And I said, ah, okay, <laughs> Aaron. So um, the next day I <laughs> went back onto his website and was looking at his pictures again. <laughs> <laughs> and then moments later, I get an email from Aaron saying it was so great to do yoga and to finally meet you in person. And I was just on your website looking at your pictures. <laughs> <laughs> so the courtship began. <laughs> so that was all when you were in Beijing and yeah. then you were in the U.S. So how come UK? Well, Aaron grew up in the U.K. and we we never lived in the U.S. together. So when we got together, it was 13. Well, we got married 13 years ago um, mm-hmm. and we, he was in transition as well. I mean, I think what yoga is so transformative and it's so powerful and, but it was actually a retreat on Chinese five elements that shifted him. And he, he finished that retreat, decided and and decided that he wanted to become an acupuncturist. (laughs) Yes. I saw his website. Yeah. So he, looked at the schools that taught the, the style of acupuncture he wanted to do. And the, one of the really good schools in the world at the time was in London. And because he had lived here before, his family had a place that we could stay at. Um, we were both ready to leave Beijing at that time. I just had been there too long. I was, yeah, I was ready for it. We were both ready for a change. So mm-hmm. he applied, he got in. We moved here in 2009 to the UK and we've been here since. And I, I was very fortunate to, yeah, I didn't know what I was going to do when I moved here. If I could teach yoga, if any studios would hire me, you know, I had no idea. But I, I just watched you were you were celebrating your anniversary because of the Facebook, yeah. So yeah. <laughs> I was looking at uh, those pictures and I thought, wow, it was like such a beautiful picture, and both of you were looking so happy, and especially your mom, your brothers, oh, your three yeah. brothers, and you know your father was there. I remember last time you said your father is no more. Yeah, he's passed. And uh, I saw your father, and I, I somehow I felt that uh, when you talked about your father, and you were like his favorite kind <laughs> or whatever so and 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 I could it, it was such a lovely pictures and I I 
can see the connection of your, you know, like a uh, like a family uh, okay. together, and it's it's especially you are coming from a place where you know we are basically from India, and we can see the connection of the family in that picture, yeah. and that was so beautiful to see. <laughs> Thank you, Archana. I yeah, I feel very grateful. Our, our fam- Aaron's family is the same. It's very close. He's very close. I think that brought our families together really well is yeah. the, the importance that both of our families have for family. And um, yeah, and, and it's, I treasure my family, you know, my, as you know, like don't tell my brothers, like <laughs> I'm not the favorite. I'm, 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 <laughs> um, I'm <daughter> always. <laughs> but I, I, I feel very grateful that I had such a, you know, just loving, very beautiful, special relationship with my father and, and I have a very close relationship with my, my mother and my brothers. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's... Um, <laughs> okay, let me ask you a trick question here. As a photographer, how difficult it is you to be in front of the lens? <laughs> well, I'll tell you, I was very, very uncomfortable until I married a photographer. Oh yes, you. <laughs> so, well, you know, he was constantly taking pictures. We were constantly taking pictures of each other. We have, we actually have a one photo framed in our bedroom of. It's a beautiful photo of both of our shadows, but we both like to photograph with Leica cameras. Yeah. Uh, oh wow. And we both grew up. I kind of came of age with film and Leica and that documentary yeah. reportage um, uh, approach to photography. But, you know, you can see both of us, one of us is taking the picture and the other one has a camera and it's just a shadow against a wall with some sunlight. Oh, wow. But the joke was that, you know, the beginning of our courtship was were the Leica Wars. <laughs> <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah. So what other hobbies do you have? Oh, what other hobbies? Well... I know one, but I'll... I'll Cooking, I gardening, cats, chickens. We live on a small oh. holding now. Yes. And we have uh, three quarters of an acre, five chickens, three cats, uh, two, oh, two wow. greenhouses, a polytunnel that's about to come up. Aaron, my husband, is the, the mastermind behind all that. Um, and, you know, we spend a lot of time with that. The other thing we, we do, it's not really a hobby, but, you know, my husband also is the main one behind this, but Glow Fund, which is a, a charity. Yes, I wanted uh, to come to that. Charity that, that helps uh, connect Stanford University orthopedic surgeons, who are some of the best in the world, with Chinese mm-hmm. hospitals and then Chinese children and, and children from Tibetan regions who have major scoliosis or other bone deformities and they wouldn't otherwise uh, re- receive operations, A, because the cost would be too high, and B, because some of these operations are impossible for most yeah. surgeons in the yeah. world to give, yeah. and it takes a, a real specialized um, expertise to make sure that you know, they, they, can, they can keep the kid alive after a surgery. Like, I mean, it's intense, like eight hours of spinal surgery, and these surgeons do not go pee or drink or eat in those eight yeah. hours. No, so how how does how does this charity work, Glow Fund? I mean, do do you actually uh, get the surgeons to travel to uh, Tibet? Not Tibet, to China. Yeah. To China. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Um. Yes. They they spend a week there and then they do oh. the surgeries. 
And we find the children through a very close friend um, who is sort of our our main contact and he knows he, he knows a lot of people in the Tibetan areas and yeah. he has established their trust, which is the most important thing because if you're a parent with a, a child with scoliosis or a grandparent and y- you have heard that someone's going to give the surgery, you're not going to send your kid to some random hospital unless yeah. you trust the person yeah. being in there. Yeah. Right. So we have, we're so lucky. We have people that are there to really reassure the parents and, to work with them and be translators and guides. And I mean, it's very emotional. Would we share the, uh, um, you know, the link? Oh, we 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 will, we will. Somebody is interested in. We'll definitely put the links for the the Glowfun charity in our show notes. Yeah. Yeah. So sorry, we interrupted you there. Sorry, that's okay. No, it's just, you know, I was just going to say it's the, the best thing about the whole program are the kids. Like we, we yes, still are in touch with the kids pretty much daily and they're constantly sending us videos and we watch them grow up and we're seeing mm-hmm. them live a normal, healthy life, which they wouldn't have, you know, otherwise their life would have been severely changed by the time Indeed. they reach adulthood. Yeah. Indeed. Yeah. That's, that's, that's yeah. such a beautiful call. Um, one thing, um, well, there are two things which I want to ask. <laughs> Sorry. That's okay. I, I spent a lot of time on a website. Yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. No. okay. So, but the first thing which I'll start off with the books. You have written two books. One is about Kiong, uh, Ki, Kigong and the Tai Chi. Qigong. And the second one is uh, Zhi Yang. Xiu <laughs> Yang. Xiu Yang, yes. Xiu Yang. Tell us something about it. Oh, the the books or? Yeah, especially Xiu Yang. Xiu Yang. Qigong. Qigong. No, the second one. <laughs> oh, yeah. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> Which one? Yeah. Uh, let's start with the Qigong first. Okay, so Qigong. Qigong, sorry. I'm sorry. Qigong and the Tai Chi Axis. It sort of fell into my lap writing this book, but I'm so glad that I was able to. Um, mm-hmm. And... You know, I was approached by a publisher, but I had an agent, and the publisher had also read some other proposals I'd done. But she was like, "Yeah, well, we really like to do a book on qigong and tai chi." So I loved being able to put down so much of what I have been sharing and practicing and teaching, um, and a lot of it I'd been accumulating and kind of researched over the years of teaching seasonally based and elementally based workshops. So. Mm-hmm. Um, it was really great to be able to to do that. Uh, it was a lot of work um, because I I got a two contract two book contract, but they wanted the the two books in one year. Yeah, okay. I, I I remember that when you finished, I I have got both the books so far. So <laughs> what really is nice what is the most difficult aspect of writing the book? Most difficult aspect. Uh, Hmm. Is it is it trying to contain your ideas? Because I mean, obviously, having done a lot of research and knowing a lot about the subject, it's always difficult to say which of the ideas yeah. do I kill. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. I think the first book I really had a clear structure for. The second book, the hardest thing was actually coming up with the structure um, mm-hmm. because the book wasn't in my mind. It it was just a book that came out of a conversation I had while and while meeting about the first book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. So that one fell into my lap too, and I wasn't expecting to write that book. Um, right. 
but the idea and the concept they loved so much. And I thought, you know what, it's, this would be a really, really great book. Um, so it, it was the hardest thing was writing them back to back because I was editing the first book while I had to come up with a structure and research the second book. Wow. Um, yeah. Writing one book is an issue and then you were trying yeah, to do two, two together. Yeah, <laughs> I wouldn't recommend doing that again. <laughs> um, no, but your both the books are absolutely amazing books. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Um, I think though that I, it was challenging, but my, my husband, Aaron, he, you know, he, obviously like he knows me probably the, the best of anyone in the world. Um, and what he said was one, you know, he's, he's glad they're done. He's glad to have me back. <laughs> but, yeah. but two, well, three, three, okay, three things. Um, two, he said, I was healthier than I'd ever been writing those books. Um, oh, wow. which was really interesting. I'll tell you why in a second. But the third thing was before I started writing, I'd written my dissertation. And when I wrote my dissertation, I had to tunnel myself, pull myself away 10 days, do nothing but that. And it was really intense and I couldn't do anything else. And I had, had to go away to do that. So when I got these contracts, I was kind of concerned. And I said to Aaron, like, I'm going to ask for your forgiveness in advance. Like, I think I'm going to have to really tunnel and again, yeah, maybe going to be hard on our marriage. And he looks at me and he, and he's like, you're basically asking me for carte blanche, aren't you? And I, I kind of went sheepish and he said, no, I'm not giving you that permission. He's like, <laughs> he's like, you have a duty as a wife and as my partner and as my friend. And he's like, and if you're writing books about balance and health and well-being and you wreck your, your relationship in the process, like, what are you writing these books for? Right? And he's like, look at this as a time to live your practice. And, um, and it was the best advice I'd ever had. And, you know, I really, I really took that to heart. And, um, and I think that's why I was, I, I was able to do the books and what I said to myself was I'm cutting away everything that I don't need to do. I stripped back to going in to teach one day a week. I dropped two days of teaching uh, to really focus on the book. I gave myself an incredibly like structured schedule every day. And then I made that, that schedule stretch over the 10 weeks that I was giving myself for, to write, to actually physically write the books. Um, but I went to bed very early every day. I got up very early every day I did my practices, my meditation, Qigong yoga in the mornings, had breakfast, and then I would start and I would, I would write solidly for two hours, go outside, take a 15-minute walking meditation, come back, continue writing, write until lunch, cook lunch, eat lunch, take a nap, do some gardening, go outside, come back, write for two more hours, finish, go for a really long walk with Aaron who always got the download of my day. So like the conversations always started on the walks of, so honey, you know, what do you think about? <laughs> um, and, he, you know, he enjoyed that because then he could help me unpack some ideas that were kind of in my mind and flesh, flesh out some concepts. And then I'd come back, have some dinner. I'd play piano. I'd read fiction. I couldn't read nonfiction, but I'd, I read really good fiction. And then I'd be in bed. And that was, oh, wow. that was Monday to Friday. I wrote about eight hours a day every day for 10 weeks. And then I never worked on the weekends. 
I always did something fun and social on Sunday. I was always tired by Friday, and then I was ready again to to write on Monday. Wow, that is a real. That takes a lot of courage to. Yeah, yeah, you have to and, have and determination. Really, yeah. I, while listening to this, I know that when we did the retreat with you, and I remember you used to come really early and uh, do your meditation and qigong before you started yeah. asa yeah. with us. Yeah. So, uh, how is your home practice like? I because you know, just like you, I have got a family and. i uh, keep on coming to my yoga mat doing the stuff and you know sometime if i am not in the yoga mat uh, still i feel that the way uh, if if you if you really love what you are doing you know or maybe you know what actually yoga is you live that type of life so what what your story reflects is it like you did that during your book writing but how is it in a day like you know now with this with this fear of covid-19 yeah. and everything and so much Uh, uh nonsense and everything which is under social media and everything how do you cope you know as as a yoga teacher and as a as a person mimi how do you because you have both the thing what you do qigong and yoga is something which is really brings anyone who practices it for long can bring it for grounding but how if if it's someone is new to these concept what would you suggest them or what would, what would be you, your advice here so i think there's a couple of questions that i'm hearing in your you know, in your questions last question is what advice would i have is consistency and continuity just keep doing it you know that uh-huh. that daily practice whether that's 5 minutes 10 minutes 20 minutes 2 hours it's so much more valuable to have that be consistent and continuous and it is to have it broken up and occasional um and that the changes that people will feel are not so quick to notice but if you after you know a year or two years or three years and you look back to how you were before you started these practices then you really see the difference in in how you've been affected and and changed by by these practices um for me but the other question that i heard was you know what what am i doing during this lockdown what is my daily practice like um and i said before we started you know just in our little chit chat that i i feel the healthiest i've ever been i mean i felt like healthy when i was writing the book but now i'm like wow this is a whole new level uh i'm not traveling and i didn't realize moving or you know commuting twice a week sometimes more to london how much that was actually taking out of me. Uh, oh yeah. And uh being at home and then being able to to finish teaching an online class and walk out into my garden, lie down on the grass for 20 minutes and go for a walk. I mean that that makes a big difference for me. I feel though that that you know certain rhythms have changed, my responsibilities have changed, but also because of this period you know i think like a lot of people i've been asking what kind of life do i want to build and what's really important to me uh and and what can i do now that i have more time and i'm you know in this situation where we're not obliged to see anybody or do anything that we don't really want to do we're privileged to be in that position right now what i what i realize is that i've always wanted to have 3 hours of practice in the morning yeah <laughs> and i i used to set aside at least an hour to an hour and a half and sometimes 2 hours 
Uh, and then in the last year, I would also sometimes do a little more in the evening. I'd do another meditation or a yoga practice. Um, but because over the years, and Archana, I'm not sure if, if you get this sense or not, but I actually am I'm moving a little bit away from yoga. Um, mm-hmm. I still love it. I still practice a little bit of it. I'm still teaching it. But my, my self-cultivation and development is really in mar- uh, internal martial arts and qigong. Oh, wow. Yeah, um, I- yeah, I can sense it. <laughs> but as a result, I have all these new things that I really want to be training in and practicing. And, and I don't have that, that time if, if I'm only giving myself. And, and, and meditation is also becoming much more at the forefront of my practice. And I don't have the time if, if, um, if I want to be doing all of these things to do it all in an hour and a half or two. So now, <laughs> you know, it feels like a total luxury, but it's been so transformative for me. I, I get up at a quarter to five or five and I don't eat breakfast. I have, I, I have two breakfasts, actually. I'm like a hobbit. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they have two breakfasts. I have two breakfasts. Um, but I have a little tiny breakfast of like a piece of toast or some, um, I make a juice and then some tea. And then I, I do my three hours. I do an hour of meditation. And uh, sometimes that goes longer. Like I, I sit and I've, I've stopped using a timer. And I'm just sitting for as long as I feel like it's really skillful for me to be exploring my, my thoughts, my experiences. Um, and, and I kind of know when I'm done. But sometimes that's 40 minutes. And sometimes it ends up being like an hour and 10 minutes. But I'm not rushing it because I know I have all this time. I totally agree with you. I thought that I'm the one who is having two breakfast. <laughs> so I, I did the same. You know, I had my class and then I practiced. So I had juice and uh, something, you know, some nuts. Or so I pray uh, first thing in the morning. I pray. I take nice. shower and I pray. And then I uh, do the classes and yeah. then meditation. So I had that breakfast that after finishing, I was having. So my daughter, the other day, she said, uh, are you having lunch now? I said, no, this is the second <laughs> breakfast. Yep. Second breakfast is at 8.30. So after my, my seated meditation, then I do my standing meditation. I do a little warm-up, and then I do yeah. um, my standing meditation, and that's qigong zhan zhuang, sort of a huan yuan zhuang where I'm standing, my arms are at my mid-chest level. And that I use a timer for because I feel like I really want to be minimally standing for 20 minutes. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's been really enriching for me. And then I do my Qigong forms that I've been learning with my teacher in Beijing. Um, And that takes 45 minutes to an hour. And then I do, I'm learning Yang style Tai Chi. Wow. So um, I'd practice that for like half an hour. And then I do a little yoga at the end to kind of counteract the flexion. Yeah. And I go into either just some asana or some restorative or long shavasana. And then I have breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> it's so interesting that, you know, I mean, if we were having this discussion, let's say, of six weeks ago, we would never have imagined such kind of a lifestyle, but because of the lockdown, how we have explored 
within the limitations I, I, and we uh, are kind of you know i somehow disagree with this because i know certainly uh, something about mimi and most of the people who are into these type of thing they they yes, they are maybe. always leading that life actually but yes there was like you have to go to london or you have to go yes. for your classes and there were a lot of commitment and, and responsibility and especially like yeah, yeah. I'm, i'm especially speaking yeah. from a commute perspective yeah. that yeah. you know yeah. you would you would always feel oh my god i have got now this 4 hours with me what do i do yeah but how quickly we have filled that something that we always wanted to do we wanted to try and we never got an opportunity to do that so that's really great yeah yeah, yeah. Um, and i feel that i uh, i'm really grateful for the kind of additional support and um nourishment that i'm able to give myself because maybe much like everybody in the world when i open the news and i hear what's going on and i i feel the immensity of the tragedy my heart breaks my yes, uh, my one question was you know when you want to understand other people perspective and all but still you find that uh, there are so many things which which really for, for for a while it takes you away from your body and so how do you deal with it because you know i have seen some of your post and uh, i i find you have a very strong voice but at the same time it's it's, it's coming from a place where uh, it's it's still not like that but you have a voice so uh, how do you deal with those things how do i deal with the 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 news Yeah, the, yes. the negative and, you know, the, yeah. the way people, uh, you know. So, hmm, I, um, it's a good question. How do I deal with that? I get reactive. I get judgmental. I'm normal. I'm human. I feel all these things. I get angry. <laughs> and then I will work with it. I, I, I sense it arising in me. I meet it and, and then I handle it. I, I, explore and inquire the feelings in my body around these feelings um and and then i i i ask myself you know what is what is this is a reactive response of anger judgment whatever and what is the deeper response or where is that coming from and often it's coming from pain or sadness or suffering or fear or you know something deeper um and then i i feel actually this is this is the the seed of compassion one kind of approach that i have is um you know what can we it's a buddhist teaching you know what can we say that unites rather than divides mm-hmm. uh, yeah and it doesn't always work i mean you know i, I might have a, i might share something political and then people will get really upset and then follow me and that's fine i and then this is where the second kind of approach of mine comes which is a very it's a beautiful I should read this to you actually it's a beautiful taoist set of precepts and vows from the the um second century AD the celestial masters um but they they took vows and some of them are normal ones like you know do not commit evil and do not seek fame or glory or whatever but but some really really uh, uh specific vows stand out one of them is um do not strongly oppose anyone <laughs> do not consider yourself always right and then i really like this one do not quarrel with others over what is right and wrong if you get into a debate be the first to concede 
Wow. Wow. And, wow. and I, I am blown away that people took vows. And these are precepts. Like you became a Taoist. And when you just decided that, you took this vow to be like this in the world at every moment that you could. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Do not quarrel with others over what is right and wrong. If you get into a debate, be the first to concede. Do not yeah. always consider yourself right. Do not strongly oppose anyone. When I read those, it's like this, ah. Oh, Thank goodness. <laughs> it's like, great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I used to have a reminder like this, you know, the other day we were doing a podcast on courage and uh, I was quoting something. You know this, but we are human, what you said. And you just uh, have a reminder here. And that brings you back into your center mm. of uh, love and compassion yeah. and kindness. And it's also wow. it's also humility, and and I think a lot about this. The reason that we often try to oppose others is because we're insecure or fearful, or or um, not established enough in our in our own security of what we believe. Yeah. But if yeah. we're humble, then it means that we we actually we have some conviction enough that we're steady, and and it's okay if somebody disagrees with us because it doesn't rattle our ego. Right? There's a humility embedded in us that says it's fine to believe what you believe, and and if we can meet people that way, and if I if I can feel, you know what, your opinion is a hundred percent valid because that's your opinion, then we can establish some dialogue and communication because it disarms them, and it, I don't have anything I need to prove. I don't need to yeah, prove yeah. myself right and them wrong. All I need yeah. to do is listen to why they think they're they they have this opinion and belief. And then I can say, oh, that's really interesting. Why do you believe that? You know, mm-hmm. Tell me about that. Yeah. Beautiful. Wow. That's, that's, that's a very beautiful way to, you know, to end this podcast. That was a, that was a very lovely thing that you shared with us. Mm-hmm. So uh, Mimi, thank you so much for, for your time. You're very uh, welcome. Yeah. It was, and at least now I know one thing that this is not the end of Mimi saga yeah there's another Mimi who's going to you know come out of this a different Mimi <laughs> we'll, yeah. wait, we'll wait for that Mimi and we'll grab another of your time you know to talk about it and your journey and Mimi I'm I'm very thankful that you accepted this uh, offer to do the podcast because it was our pleasure to have you in this platform and it's just amazing you know I'm I'm so grateful and thankful oh thank you Archana I'm really honored you asked thank you Thank you for listening guys please do not forget to subscribe love to hear from you our email is yoga.chai.dog@gmail.com or you can follow us on twitter at, at @yogachai_dog1 or on instagram at @yogachai_dog bye bye